Hey, everybody. Welcome to Exhibit A Attorneys, where we interview attorneys and other experts across the country about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful lawyer. And not that it was intended, but I'm going to make the, the joke that Matt and I made about this. We were starting three minutes late. So if you were billing on the billable hour, you missed out on point one for us being three minutes late. However, we are not talking about the billable hour because the billable hour sucks. Instead, we are talking about subscription models in the law firm space. So how to make the law, the Netflix law firm. So Matt founded Subscription Attorneys LLC this year, started building a legal services subscription model to help provide affordable access to legal advice for small business owners, founders, creatives, freelancers, gig workers, and most importantly, everyday people. When he realized the subscription model could revolutionize the legal profession. That's why he also launched the podcast Law Subscribed to convince the rest of the legal profession to make those same choices, help with access to justice, have a firm you can be proud of, actually help people. Uh, he served as an ABA, American Bar Association leader for nine years, chaired boards, advocated for legal education reform, interviewed ABA presidents, state appellate and Supreme Court justices, and even lobbied Congress. And if that's not enough, he's also a dancing, acting, and singing lawyer with the Chicago Bar Show. Matt, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, happy to be here. Just uh, don't ask me to put on a song and dance for you. No, no problem. We won't do that. Um, I will say I'm pretty sure Matt, I, I know not how Matt and I connected, but in terms of coming on the show, Matt had this like the most amazing LinkedIn post that spoke directly into my heart about this. And I was like, hey, all of you would love to hear this. So just know social media does help you build relationships and connections and whatnot. That's why uh, Matt's here, and I'm so excited to chat with you about your history and about how other firms can start doing the same thing to make a subscription model firm. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we'll dive into that in about 10 or 15 seconds. But I do want to talk about our last episode, super cool episode. We had Deborah Wheatman on. Uh, last episode was creating the right personal look from your cover letter to your social media and beyond. In essence, how do you do copywriting that carries your brand across everything that you do? So for those of you building personal brands, which if you're listening to me, you probably should be. Um, great episode to talk about. So Matt, I want to dive in because obviously you've got a ton of experience working with the ABA, you know, um, being in Chicago, the the hub of modern law, or at least one of the hubs of it. So talk to me about your backstory. How did Matt Kerbis come to be the Matt Kerbis that you are today? Uh, well, it all started with a twinkle in my father's eye, I suppose, if you got to go all the way back. Uh, really, it was when it was when the uh, the initial singularity exploded, if you want to go back that far. Before that, I can't tell you. But um, but really, I, uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And then it was I took a philosophy class in in undergrad where the uh, instructor said, oh, hey, if you like philosophy, uh, if you major in it, then you get to you keep studying more logic classes, which will help you on the LSAT. And maybe you could become a lawyer and do something there. I was like, oh, I always wanted to study philosophy, but I, I didn't think I could like open a philosophy store and like sell philosophies. This is before content creator was was a job. Right. Uh, and so uh, I, I looked into that and, and I was like, yes, law. That's what I want to do. I want to go be uh, an, an attorney. You know, it's a way I could I can make a decent living, study what I love and help people, which is ultimately what I wanted to do. And of course, you go to law school and you're like, oh, these student loans are killer. Uh, I have to get the best highest paying job I could possibly get out of law school to pay down these student loans. And 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 my work in the ABA had me interact with lawyers from across or future lawyers, law students from across the country and, and learned they had the same concerns that I did. Right. Like they cared about student loans. They cared about getting a job and and finding a way and wanting to help people. And so that was always in the back of my head of, of how do I, you know, how do I help make money to pay down my student loans and do it in a way that I could help people and then do it so that other 
you know, lawyers can adopt that model too. And that's, that's the shortest version I could give you of how I came to, you know, where I am today. So I, I have a, so was there like that aha moment of the subscription model or was it just like death by a thousand cuts from billable hours or like, how did, where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's like, um, I've had such an interesting path that's led me here that I couldn't have possibly planned. Right. Like I, uh, that, that first highest paying job I could get out of law school, uh, was still just working for like a, a solo who was hiring on a couple of attorneys cause he had an influx of business. Right. Cause that's, I, I didn't go to like the best law school ever, but I went to a great law school. Uh, and I was not, I didn't have the, the best grades necessarily, but I did really, I did fairly well. And, and the way, if you're in it, if you're, you know, most of your, you know, um, most of your audience is going to know, you know, what that's like, right? If you already make it to law school, you're one of the smartest among your peers. But when you're in law school, you're among all the other smartest people, right? So I got the best job that I could. And I was doing foreclosure defense work. So you bet I was helping people. I was keeping a roof over their heads as long as we possibly could. And, and what, what we charged, as I came to learn, was we charged the same amount every month that they could afford to keep them in their home. It was definitely less than their mortgage, contrary to what some people would have told you back then. Oh, they, you know, they just pay their lawyers you know, what they would have paid their mortgage. Uh, but no, no, that, that is absolutely not true. Uh, they could afford a fraction of that for us to keep them in their homes as long as possible, whether that was until uh, a, a final sale and disposition of the property, or if we can negotiate some kind of uh, uh, new terms or a short sale. And so that was essentially the subscription model, I, you know, but I didn't know it at the time. Um, another thing that impacted that was hearing the ABA president at the time talk about how he couldn't afford to hire himself. I was like, something's broken. With this system, if if a uh, the you know ABA president is a partner at a big giant law firm can't afford to hire himself, uh, and so all these things kind of came together. And I I'm always looking at um, whatever's happening in the business world and entrepreneurship. I listen to and I'm networked with a lot of networking groups about uh, with founders and uh, and all the cool innovative stuff happening in that space. And I can't tell you the exact moment, but it all kind of came together for me where I realized, hey, I wonder if the subscription model can be applied to legal services. And I started to do research and I found, holy moly, I'm not the only attorney who's thought of this. And there were attorneys who are doing it in niche practice areas. And I'm taking a very different approach with that strategically, um, but it has been done before. And I've talked to them and I've interviewed some of them for my podcast and I follow, frankly, in their footsteps, um, even though I'm no, no one's claimed the title of the subscription attorney. So I'm claiming it. Uh, but but I'm not the first subscription attorney. That's for sure. There we go. Yeah, you know, it's it's so interesting to me because from a I get why billable hours are awesome when you're at the top. Right. Because you can just expand out by getting more people to bill. But from the individual lawyer perspective, you have to either raise your rates or bill more time. Like there's no, you can't be, you can't work faster. You can't work more efficiently. You can't provide more value to your client for the same thing because you're really just tying your time to their money. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, and that is, uh, that, that's what we call in the, uh, the subscription industry, a scalability problem. And so you can only scale by hiring more lawyers. And guess what? Especially now, lawyers are really expensive, right? So there's two sides of that discussion that we could have as far as the law firm owner listeners are paying attention right now. And that is on the one side, uh, maybe you, you can't even, there's no, you know, it's hard to hire right now. So you have to look at the, the attorneys that you have and how do you scale that business? Well, the subscription model is a way to do that. And on the other side of it is no matter how much you pay these lawyers and overpay them, eventually they're going to get burned out. You can't pay them enough 
to uh, to keep billing their time and giving up time with their families or having a life that they're going to look for other opportunities and they're going to see the subscription model as a complete pivot to correct from giving up all that time and having to bill all those hours. And you're going to see a mass exodus if I'm doing my job trying to bring the subscription model to legal services. So, so on both sides of it, I think law firm owners are going to have to adopt alternative billing methods. And I hope it's the subscription model. And it's interesting. I mean, look, I want to put, you know, we, we titled this the Netflix law firm. I don't think you can run your law firm like Netflix. because I think Netflix won't make, isn't profitable unless they spend $0 for like 20 more years and not lose a single person. But from the standpoint of Netflix needs you to stay on Netflix. Like Netflix has to constantly be providing you more value and let you know what you have to look forward to in a way that makes sense for you to stay committed to the subscription. Mm -hmm. And from a lawyer perspective, I mean, especially for the business law stuff, like it's such an interesting way because it forces you to become a better business owner and a better lawyer and a better advocate and a better counselor for your clients to maintain that value, right? Yes. I, I mean, that's the thing. Like when, whenever I start talking about this idea with other other business minded people, they see it right away. And, and you start to go down these thought processes that I've been down and that the other subscription attorneys before me have gone down. And it, it all of a sudden you know, becomes your own version of a light bulb moment. But I think it's a pretty, pretty similar path that, that I've walked down to what you're talking about, Jordan. And, and uh, you know, we all know subscriptions now. Like the, like before, maybe uh, you know not everyone was subscribed to something or other. But even as business owners, right, we're subscribed to maybe it's Microsoft 365, maybe it's Google Workspace. You know, we all have subscriptions. Our internet plan, our phone plans. You know, like we're we're we're, we're inundated with subscriptions now. And we, and we as consumers, even lawyers as consumers of subscription models, uh, we see what works, and we see what doesn't. And who knows the profession better than us? And and lawyers are super innovative problem solvers, or at least they can be. Of course, they're not willing to take many risks when it comes to how we do what we do in our profession. But I think once you get enough buy-in from people, you're going to see innovations that I certainly couldn't even think of as, you know, the, the, the self-proclaimed subscription attorney, right? And, and so that's, that's a fun process to go down. And, and it's one thing to just talk about. It's, just, it's another thing to actually do it. And so I had the podcast idea before I decided to launch my own firm, but I decided I had to practice what I pre preach, see what works, see what doesn't. So far, I'm pleasantly surprised that most of my ideas are working, which is great. There we go. And I mean, look, from the lawyer perspective, I guarantee you Lexus and Westlaw love this subscription model. I guarantee you Clio and Lawmatics and every other CRM and every other case management system love the subscription model. Like we interact with it so much on the one hand that it's difficult for us to make that mindset shift. But when you do, you start seeing how it works in the opposite. Yeah. And, and, and to talk about subscriptions that, that we use as attorneys for like uh, legal tech or even non-legal tech, uh, which I've mentioned a few already. Um, when you when, when your business model is more like a SaaS product, you're able to anticipate monthly recurring re revenue versus annual recurring revenue. And then you could see, OK, what is my tech spend going to be? What is my marketing spend going to be? And you could more easily allocate that because you're able to see what your monthly anticipated monthly income is going to be. And it's not magic, right? You don't sign up a thousand clients and they stay subscribed. There's a concept called churn, which is where people unsubscribe. And there's all these products out there to how to prevent churn, right? And, and they, they're not um, perfectly adaptable from like the tech entrepreneur space into the, the legal space, but some of them are. And I think there's a lot of opportunity, frankly, for legal tech founders to adapt those tools specifically to the legal profession. 
Um, but uh, but assuming you figure out churn and you can, like you said earlier, continue to provide value so that people stay subscribed, knowing what you could spend on whatever legal product or marketing agency or whatever becomes a lot more reasonable and understandable and, and predictable, which makes it a lot easier as a business owner. That's for sure. And so just uh, want a couple things. So, so SaaS, S-A-A-S, software as a service. Um, and then, yeah. And so to put this in perspective from a law firm, like if you knew that you have 10 clients that pay you $100 a month for a subscription, you have $1,000 a month towards this. And if you know that you add one client every year and you lose one client every year, you keep that going. So now as you look to split out all of your budget, you have a much better understanding of where that goes than like, you know, those idiots are on a PI firm, like, myself and my wife, where it's like, hey, you hit a million dollar verdict this month, and then you hit zero, you know, you have no verdicts for the next month, and you have to figure out how to stagger those things. So it does really put you in a very interesting perspective from the business side, to be able to make decisions uh, smarter, easier, I don't maybe easier is the wrong word. Yeah, Yeah, both and, 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 you know, certainly, I think the subscription model can be adapted to practice areas where maybe you didn't think that it could be like personal injury. I've, I've been meaning to find out like what this attorney's name was, but I heard there is a, a personal injury attorney who's been interviewed on like some of the legal talk network podcasts. I've heard him interviewed on some other podcasts and he has a version of the subscription model for his clients where they pay him a set amount per month and they pay for the costs. And if they're willing to buy in that much, then he knows that this is a legitimate case that I could take as a personal injury attorney. And cause they're bought into it and they're invested in it. And if we're given an actual, actually a good settlement offer like my client's going to actually consider it because because otherwise they have nothing to lose. And then you as the PI firm, even if it's only 50 bucks a month plus costs, you know, those costs are being paid for up front. Right. So it's less of a potential loss. It's, it's, it's more it's less unknowns. And you also could count on maybe a little bit of recurring you know, monthly recurring revenue as long as these cases are ongoing. And, you know, there's certain ethical quandaries you have to potentially you know, concern yourself with about things that you're doing you know, in your practice to make sure the cases actually you know, settle or go to trial sooner rather than later. So that amount that monthly amount can't be so much that you're incentivized to delay. But um, but there are ways to do it, I think, where you could even adapt the subscription model to a personal injury practice, which you might be which traditionally, you know, is you take you take a third and then maybe maybe instead of taking a third, you take 25 percent. Right. Maybe. I mean, depending on how much somebody's willing to pay up front, maybe you have three different versions, you know, you, you know, nothing. And, you, and we take a third uh, minus cost, you know, may, maybe, you know, 50 bucks a month and we only take, you know, 28 percent. You know, and, and there's different ways that you can figure out how to do that and, and at least give your clients the option to see if they want to do that. Right. Um, so there's a lot of fun that we could have with this. So I'll stop myself right now. Uh, and important, important lawyer caveat, make sure you check your state bar ethics, because if you have some weird contingency fee cap, then you would need to figure out working backwards to figure out well, anyway, I, whatever. But like, that's just a limiting belief if that's going to stop you from even Nothing. looking into it. Nothing we say is legal advice, right? Nothing right. is legal ethics advice or anything like that on this show. <laughs> Greg, we need to have that as one of the slides that we can just flash. Like, uh, this is not legal advice. But anyway. Um, all right. So I guess that was going to be my next question. So, but let me just make sure we're on the same page here. Are there any specific areas of practice that you think do not fit with a subscription model? I have um, problem solved most practice areas that I could think of. And I found, I think innovative ways to do it. The one that I'm having the most trouble with is um, one-off type litigation cases with a one-off client uh, where maybe you bill by the hour and uh, criminal law. 
uh, those, that's where I'm, I'm finding the most difficulty coming up with solutions. And I think in, that's in part because I just do not know enough about criminal law. I've avoided it entirely, right? So like I, other than my required law school courses, I don't know enough about it. You know, maybe there is a way to do it. I'm not sure. Um, and, and I, you know, I kind of like, like for what we, for what we think of criminal law today, I don't know, but for looking at productized legal services, absolutely there's a way, right? And so like maybe there's courses for prospective criminals or past clients to keep them on the straight and narrow. So you keep them subscribed to like more legal consulting on how to not be a repeat offender. So there's opportunities in that industry, but maybe not in the way we traditionally think of being a criminal attorney. Uh, and then with the one-off litigation, uh, I think you could always figure something out with like a flat fee plus subscription model way to innovate on that. So there has to be a certain flat fee when you start. Maybe they pay for costs. They pay you a certain amount per month. And then they pay you a certain flat fee if they settle and even a higher flat fee per week per trial. That's sort of what I have in mind. That's the, the model I've developed and I'm still developing for a high volume practice, which is like insurance defense, which is where I come from, or even foreclosure defense, right? Um, and But like a high volume practice uh, I think you can you could figure that out. Well, a good way to do that using that type of combination, and I'm I'm hopeful that you could do that for a one-off type litigation thing. If if you as the firm have a lot of experience and data, which our profession is terrible about collecting, on um, on maybe how long this case will take, how many prospective depositions, you know, if you could figure a lot of that out at the, at the beginning of a case, you could do a flat fee plus subscription model, maybe, um, but we'll see. It's interesting. I mean, and to go back to your criminal point, I think it would be very interesting um, to do something where like people on probation, you know, here's a course we put together about what your probation officer isn't going to tell you, but that you need to know to not violate and, and obviously access to whatever resources, you know, if you got community service hours, and then COVID hits, and now all those places are closed, that would be a really interesting thing to put together also. Yeah, and there's a lot of business opportunity for people to help, you know, for businesses to help lawyers do these kind of things, tons of business opportunity. So from that law firm owner perspective, like somebody's listening to this, they're following you, they know they need to make this change. Where do they start? Uh, they go to lawsubscribe.com and subscribe to Law Subscribed on every podcast app because I'm everywhere, baby. Uh, but uh, I, I, I do have a lot of episodes in the can that I do have to start publishing finally. I know I've only got three so far since March, uh, but I do have a dozen plus in, in the can that I just got to get out there. Um, and as a new firm owner, uh, finding the time to do that's difficult, but also as a bootstrap new firm owner, I don't have the MRR, right? Monthly recurring revenue that we talked about to hire, you know, an outside agency to like do the podcast editing for me yet, but that's certainly a plan for me uh, to, to do. But Law Subscribed would be a great starting place. Um, and then the, I know the ABA has published some articles in the ABA journal on uh, subscription models. And there are some other, you know, listen to this epi you know, podcast episode, continue to. And, and, and Jordan, there's a lot of, uh, I've, I've done my due diligence before appearing on the show and I've listened to a lot of past episodes. And even, even your very next guest uh, talks about some things that are super necessary for you to consider uh, if you're going to want to be successful with a subscription model. So, you know, when it comes to value-based billing, when it comes to just anything that's creating efficiencies and abandoning the billable hour, you know, whether it's content that you've previously produced or will produce or other shows like that, um, th you know, that's where you can, uh, you can read and learn more about it. Also, uh, Tian Zhou has a LinkedIn newsletter called Subscribed, and he also has a book called Subscribed. And while that doesn't actually address the legal profession, uh, I have asked him 
uh, on like a, a Zoom thing if he thinks um, like an event where he was a speaker. One of my questions got through was, uh, and it was like, when is legal going to be ready for the subscription model? He was like, well, as long as they could get away with the billable hour, I don't know, you know, if they're going to be ready for it. Uh, and I told him, well, I'm going to try to make it happen anyway. But but there's a lot of great lessons in that book and through his newsletter uh, that you can learn about um, the subscription model in general. And I think the, that's a super useful resource for people. But I, I appreciate that in terms of the, the external resources. But from an internal standpoint, I mean, is there like I can't imagine it's like, OK, tomorrow I'm going to convert all my clients to subscription model. Like it's not what they signed up for. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming it has to be, it probably has to start with like marketing going forward on this model to get in clients to sign up for this model. Or is there something, or is there, or is there a different internal process that needs to be in place first? Right, right. Um, okay, I, now I understand the question. And while I still think that's good information, I said, this is also a really important question, Jordan. So I'm glad you, you asked it to me again. So now I understand it. Um, there are a, there, there are a handful of legal tech tools out there that will help provide you with a turnkey solution, a more or less a turnkey solution to this. The only two that I'm aware of right now off the top of my head um, are Fidu, which is started by which one of the co-founders is Kim Bennett. And she's one of these subscription attorneys that I follow in her footsteps. Uh, I think FiduLegal.com. And then Rally is another one that they even recently launched a podcast dedicated to the subscription model. So they're really investing in this. And I can't remember their website. It might be like Rally Legal. If you Google that, you might find them. And as far as I'm aware, those are the only two turnkey solutions. I know of some other legal tech companies that are thinking about building for this, but they're not actually ready yet. So I don't want to promote them. And, um, and, and it is going to cost you though. Like the, the software that I'm using is non-legal tech. It, it is like HIPAA compliant if you have certain features enabled. So I know like the security and all those features are, uh, are, are good enough for, to preserve attorney client privilege for me with when it comes to encryption and all that. Um, but it, it only costs me like less than $200 a year for that software, but it's highly, highly customizable. Like it, you basically get a blank slate and you have to customize it, uh, which I put in many weekends to, to do. Um, not all lawyers are going to have the time and want to do that, right? But you do need the technology to help you implement the model. You need automations built in, right? So I integrate Stripe, the payment processor, with this client portal software that I use, for example, right? I have a CRM built into the client portal software that I'm using, uh, which you could set up email automations and different types of communication automations and things like that. On my website, uh, which was very strategically designed, uh, you could sign up from my website. Right. And I make sure that I throw the engagement agreement in your face as a potential client a lot, and especially before you sign, uh, because I want to make sure they understand what they're you know, what they're agreeing to. And the way that I've set up my intake form, which is all automated through my website, that they have to make sure that I that I know that they're saying they're either living in or transacting in the state of Illinois because I'm not I don't have a federal practice yet. And uh, I'm only licensed in the state of Illinois. Right. So I've, I've set up all these things to make sure that I do very little with as much as possible. So because when it comes to the subscription model, it's not about billing time. It's about providing value in exchange for what they're paying you, which means you have to create as many as many efficiencies as possible in order to do that. Uh, and so, you know, when it comes to what do firms do that are on the billable hour and they want to switch over? Well, they can make it so either attorneys who are invested in this, be they partners or associates um, who are helping build this out or develop this, that all the time that they spend counts towards their billable hour requirements. That would be what you have to do in order to actually make it happen. And then it's very hard to convert existing clients. Um, but what you can do is whenever you get a new client into the firm, you could offer them option A and B. You know, here's the billable hour model. 
I don't know what it's going to cost you to, for the full duration of the case. Here's the subscription model where you're going to know what it's going to cost you per month. And here are the flat fee things, you know, that are covered or not. Um, I left a firm to start my own subscription practice. So I personally didn't have to do that. So I, um, I can't really speak to that with personal experience. Um, but another subscription attorney, Jess Birkin, uh, who has a thing for lawyers called Hack Your Practice, which I forgot to mention earlier, uh, which is just a free newsletter you could subscribe to. She'll give you updates on things like that. And Jets's newsletter is so funny. And, and like I say funny, it's all it's helpful. Like you really have, if you know Jess, she is so herself in a great way on it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's right. So you, you could echo it, right? So I you know, subscribe to that, but also her, and she's interviewed a bunch and her experience was she offered options A and B and every future client picked the subscription model, right? Because of course they would, you know? Uh, so, so that's what I would recommend is you take that path. Uh, it's it's going to be very hard to just do like a, a you know swerve the car and and take a 180 turn. So I don't recommend that. I recommend easing into it. But you really have to invest the time and potentially money into it before you launch it and offer that those options A and B to the client. Yeah, I think that's I think that's so smart. Are there like if you could go back to day one of it, are there any? things that you didn't think about, or you didn't realize how impactful they would be positive or negative as you, you know, made this, I want to say transition, although obviously starting your own firm has a whole nother transition level to it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but my answer to your question is it combines both of those perspectives. And, and that is I built the practice using a lot of these sort of innovative techniques that we hear about now for new innovative law firms. And I, I've, I've chosen to not do a free consultation uh, which I think is not really a true consultation anyway, because what are you establishing an attorney-client relationship with this person, you know, for a free consultation? No, of course you're not. So it's kind of like false advertising to say initial consultation is free. It's not really a legal consultation. You're not giving legal advice. So I've chosen to not do that, uh, which I still stand by, but I also made it because it's only $20 a month for an entry level subscriber for me. So it's like $20 a month, you had access to my limit, a limited amount of time on my calendar to book a time and schedule a call with me or send me a, a message through the client portal, which I'll get back to you on. So it's only $20 for that. So it's a pretty low barrier, but people were hesitant to sign up. So what I did was I added to the very first page of my website, a schedule call button. And after I added that, after like two months of not having it, I started to get a lot more inbound. I also learned, because you want to always keep learning about the technology tools that you're using, that with Calendly, I was able to embed sort of a floating, like you see like those chatbot things, but I was able to embed a, a link like that that's always in the bottom right corner is where I've chose to put it, where it's no matter what page you're on on my website, if you wanted to book one of those intro calls with me, you don't have to go back to the first, the homepage. You could book it on any page that you're looking at. So it's always there. Okay. I've looked at the, the, uh, individual level. I've looked at the freelancer level. I think I want to do freelance, but I don't really want to pay, you know, $300 a month right away because that's my, my lowest freelancer level. But that intro call button is boom right there. They could click it. They could fill out, you know, they get my calendar, uh, and they could fill out a time to talk with me for an intro call. So it's not, and I'd make it very clear. This is not a free consultation. This is just an introductory call. No attorney client relationship is created. It's just, Hey, is this going to be a good fit for you and me? Right. And, and I limit those to 15 minutes. So I wish I would have done, I wish I would have done that from day one. Cause I think I, I would have uh, gotten a lot more inbound that way. Gotcha. Makes total sense. And then I love, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about like sort of the physical is the wrong word, like the infrastructure change this requires, but ultimately it also requires that mindset shift, right? Like in, from the billable hour, the longer, the more you spend on a case time-wise, the more money you make from the subscription one. It's really about providing the maximum value to the client that keeps them 
in the subscription getting value over and over again. So did you have to like, did you have to make that change as well? Or really like you were already thinking that way and that's why you did this. I was already thinking that way when I launched. So before I launched, I had all of those problems solved more or less, right? Like, so um, one of the things I do, probably my my biggest value that I can provide from my past experience, because a lot of these things, I've just taken copious amounts of CLE and I've done a little bit of work in these transactional areas. Um, but I'm, you know, I've, I've learned as much as I can to, to practice them from substantive CLEs, of which there are surprisingly few out there. Like the bar associations do not do as good of a job as they should with substantive CLE. Right. Um, so, uh, but, but I was able to find them. So I, I would not like, I, I know I kind of need to learn trademarks and copyrights and I've been doing a lot of learning there. And actually alt legal has a lot of great substantive learning that I'm doing there because I, I've been getting some inbound IP related questions. And if it's tangentially related to the other work that I'm doing and advising, like I could do that. Right. But I don't have like a federal practice yet, but that is a goal of mine. I'm not practicing in areas where I'm not competent enough yet. But I am I am on my way to being competent to help somebody file a trademark, help somebody you know file copyrights and all that. Um, I can't advise on them, but I'm not I, I'm comfortable there, but not on the the filing side of it. Uh, so, um, but in all these like estate planning and stuff, I had to learn all that. I had to do seminars. I had to do a lot of learning, right? But for real estate, which is where I've been doing that since day one, you know, with the foreclosure defense work and the short sales and residential real estate, is like my bread and butter. So what I do is I've decided to completely undercut the market of what attorneys charge. And in Illinois, they charge a flat fee. And so I undercut the market by about $200 for that flat fee. But the reason I do that is it's only available to my subscribers who are paying me at least my entry level rate of $20 a month. So if a real estate closing takes three months, well, you know, they're still saving $140 and what they would have going with another attorney. And while they're subscribed to me, since I'm kind of like general counsel for their life, like fractionalized general counsel, I could advise on other things that are going on, right? Because I also have an estate planning practice. I do prenuptial agreements and postnuptial agreements, right? Anything that's not litigation uh, that that I'm competent on, which is pre and pretty much anything contract law related. And, and all my prices are and all the areas I practice are, are listed on my website. Um, you, you know, I, I'm able to help them with at the same time, you know, at th that I'm also their real estate attorney, which is so for less money, they're actually getting added value. And if I'm able to show them that added value, that when then when the real estate closing, uh, when the tra transaction closes, you know they could stay subscribed, right? And I could continue to provide them value, which I provided them more than just I'm your real estate attorney value. And and that does a little bit fly in the face of the traditional, well I say traditional, the the um, traditional mindset of innovators in the profession, which is to niche down. Um, I'm taking a different approach with it. And my niche is I'm the most affordable attorney in America, baby. That's me. Sign up. Right. But well, um, a niche, a niche is a niche. And there are people that niche to their community. There are people that niche to a practice area. I mean, you're niching to a model, I guess, to a very a specific type of person, the model applies or applies to is, is of interest to. Right. Right. And, and so, you know, my, my, yeah, it's, um, and I say niche, I know it's niche, niche, like I haven't actually come across what's the, what's the right way to pronounce it, uh, but agree to disagree on our pronunciations uh, for now. And, uh, and, and yeah, like it's, it's affordability. I'm targeting everyday people. Um, and, and, you know, there's a possibility that in the future um, I do niche down and I like, you know, I'm got all, all my, my intake is really leading me to real estate or it's estate planning or what have you. And, uh, and in the future, I may narrow the scope. Um, but for now, since I'm, this is a grand experiment that I've embarked on, I am, I am keeping the practice areas pretty broad.
for me, it's just because a niche will make you rich. It's it's the rhyme. That's all. That's why I'm uh... branding. Branding. Very good. Yes. Very good. So what, like if you could talk to as many law firm owners that have at least a 1% interest in making this change, what would you say to them? Like, what's that? I don't want to say sales pitch because it's not really a sales pitch, but like, what's that kick in the butt that they need to hear to finally make this transition? Yeah. And to be clear, like my main focus right now is growing my own law practice, but certainly in the future, I may consult on this. So it might be a, become a sales pitch. I might use this video in the future for marketing for that purpose. Right. Uh, and I certainly won't charge by the hour for a consulting fee because I have to, I have to live and breathe what I preach. There we so, go. So, uh, but, but for now I would say 1% is simply not enough. I think you need to be a hundred percent committed, but if you're at least interested and intrigued, continue, seriously subscribe to law subscribed, um, I do have some interest from past um, guests that I've interviewed on the show who may also want to do some writing for it. And I have um, a lot of my involvement and in volunteering in the ABA was on the editorial side of things. So I actually have a lot of experience when it comes to like the legal, legal journalism. And, um, and so I will probably do a lot of writing on it myself. Um, I'm just on the cusp of doing like a LinkedIn newsletter called Law Subscribed. And um, I'm just figuring out a content plan for that. And then once I have that finalized, I'm going to be doing that. So I'd say like, just subscribe to all the free stuff that I'm going to be publishing about it and learn more about it. Learn about as much as you can. You know, the resources I mentioned earlier in the show, subscribe to those newsletters or, you know, you know, review the podcast episodes or, or LinkedIn lives, Facebook lives, you know, go back and, and consume as much as you can about it until you're hundred percent convinced and, and look at the technology resources I talked about Fidu and rally, which, you know, these companies are all in on it. You know, I'm sure they've got a lot of content and material to help you get over to that hundred percent convinced. This is going to be valuable for me and my, my practice. Uh, Cause it's going to help you get more of a work-life balance. I think, because you have to be in control of your calendar. Like I don't, I do not accept random phone calls unless like I tried, we, I played some phone tag with a client that we were trying to get a hold of. And I happen to see that they're calling in and I'm available, but I do block scheduling. I don't let anyone schedule anything with me within 24 hours. So at the end of every day, I can plan my next day kind of a thing. And so with that, I, I even though I'm working way more than I was at a firm, I, I have achieved more of a work-life balance with the subscription model because I control my calendar. My calendar does not control me and I automate as much as I possibly can. Um, and frankly, you could make more money in less time because you could scale because it's not about building time. So, and you can help more people, which is what most lawyers I think wanted to do when they went to law school, you can help more people more affordably and make more money. I mean, come on, if you're at 1% and you're watching this right now, you, you gotta, you gotta switch over to the subscription model for all those so, reasons. I want to, I want to back up for a second. I'm not sure if I heard you correctly. So you're planning the next day at that day, like it's today's Monday, your schedule, you're planning Tuesday at the end of the day today. Yeah, I, I time block um, my days. So at the end of every day is a 20 uh, minute time block where I time block the next day. Um, and so if I have, you know, client meetings booked and scheduled in advance, like when, and when, when you and I scheduled this, I got access to your calendar for when you were available. And I made sure that I was available during that time. And then that time is blocked off on my calendar. Nothing else could be scheduled with me during that time, right? Like my phones are off. Everything's off right now. So we're not interrupted. 
Um, but also I will manually go in and say, okay, I have this real estate transaction coming up. I have to review the contract. You know, when do I have time to do that? Do I have time to do it tomorrow? Cause I have like a master to-do list, right. That I will time block for. And since I've been doing real estate transactions for a long time, I know how long it's going to take me to review the contract. Right. And, and so, uh, and, but initially I would over time block. And then as things like for newer things, I, I, then I narrow it down to, okay, I could complete this in less time. Right. Cause everything's about creating efficiencies and things taking less time when you're not billing by the hour. So then I will block like an hour. Like I had a, a client call this meeting for, uh, a purchase agreement that I'm helping them negotiate, right? And and I know he's a talker, but I'm not billing by the hour, but I I booked, I, I time blocked two hours, you know, to talk with him and we finished early. And so I have, you know, things later time blocked in the day that I got to earlier. And if I finish early, I have an overflow, you know, list that I could I could attend to. So at the, at the end of every day, I figure out what I'm going to do the next day. And I started actually doing this, a similar version of this um, when I was building by the hour by thinking about what could I build the next day? And so I was sort of, I, I didn't quite do time blocking like this because the nature of litigation and like opposing counsel could call you, there could be an emergency motion filed. Like it's harder to do this if you're in litigation. Uh, and then the other benefit of this is when your clients are not uh, calling you because of emergencies, because they don't, they wait to call you until the last minute because they're worried they're going to be billed for it. Well, when they're already paying you and you're developing a relationship with them, which is a whole other conversation we could have, you could help them avoid emergencies. So you don't have to handle emergencies. And so, so that is, you know, that is good for your clients and it's good for you as a business owner. So from the standpoint of the client booking time with you, and I guess maybe I misheard you when you said it first, they have to book with you at least 24 hours out. That's correct. I make I, okay. in, in Calendly, you can set restrictions on on how far in advance in terms of how many days in advance, and you could set restrictions in and how how soon can somebody book with you. Now, I do have a link that's like a unlimited link to fifteen minutes if like something might be more of an emergency or if I really have an important meeting that I want to take that I can share that link and you could book within three hours. But I still give myself three hours of space, um, and I use that very rarely, very sparingly. Um, like I really only use that if I see that today, I have some time, time block for things that are urgent. Um, but yes, I make it so, yeah, it has to be, uh, and this is for true for paying clients. And this is true for the schedule call button on, on my website that, um, you cannot book time with me within 24 hours. And frankly, if it's an emergency type thing, I'm really not built to handle that if you're a new client. Um, and so, you know, I would end up potentially referring you to another case too. And, and a lot of times those types of things are litigation related. Oh, I have a hearing coming up and I didn't file an appearance and there's a default that's going to be entered. Well, I'm not a litigation attorney. I can't help you with that. I'm going to have to send you to, you know, I'm going to have to refer the case anyway. Makes perfect sense. I just, I, I guess I heard you the opposite there. So then that way, like if they're trying to book with you, if they're trying to book with you today, then they're going to get on your calendar for Wednesday. So then Tuesday, when you're doing the time blocking, you know where those phone calls are already sitting. Uh, no, no, no. If, if, uh, if they, I, I have it set up. So it's like actually 24 hours. Right. So if I get, if I get to five o'clock today, the, the soonest they could book with me is, and, and I put like limitations on the time frame anyway, uh, is like five o'clock tomorrow. Right. And so, um, so I'll be able to anticipate that. And I actually, I'm pretty sure I cut it off before five. Cause I, I like to have family time, time blocked, uh, at the end right. of my day. So, um, so like the soonest they could book with me really would be two days, you know, from right. now at, at, at 7.30 a.m. So I like, I really keep it open, you know, earlier in the morning than maybe most people before work. Cause I want to capture those before work, you know, cause not a lot of lawyers are doing that. Right. And I'm right. working from home, you know, I'm in front of a, I'm, I'm in a recording studio that has become my, my virtual office. I'm in front of a soundproof green screen right now. 
right? And I have a professional podcasting microphone because I also do that. So I sound way better over the phone or on Zoom than any other lawyer that other people, other potential clients are talking to, you know, as well. So, so everything, everything is towards the client experience there, but, but the clients expect it because they know, okay, I booked a time with him. I'm going to get him now. Not right. calling back or call another attorney and maybe they will. And if they have an urgent matter, that's, those are not my clients. And so right. there's plenty of lawyers out there that they could find in an urgent situation. And I think that's the, the most important thing for people to take away from this. Like you are, you are building, you're building the right amount of hoops for the right client to be able to jump through and the wrong client not to be able to jump through to work with you in the way that makes sense to you. Right, right. And, and my, my plan is also to, for accessibility reasons, and especially with um, people past a certain generation that has trouble with technology, because you really have to interface with technology uh, to be a good client for me, is I do plan to build out like informational, like YouTube videos for maybe some older clients that stumble upon my website. Like, um, like my, my, my Bubby, like really wants to like, you know, figure out how to use my website and stuff. And she's just having some difficulty. So I feel like if I could get her to understand what a QR code is on my business card and how to sign up, uh, then I could get any uh, person of a certain age or lack of familiarity with technology to be able to sign up as a client. Cause you have to like sign into a client portal. Like it's just like having a social media profile and it preserves the attorney client privilege, you know, but, but in order to use me to use my legal services, you have to be able to sign into the client portal kind of a thing. Makes total sense. All right. So as we get towards the end, any major things that we missed or anything else you want to make sure that we cover? Uh, you, you know, whenever I speak to um, high school students or college students considering a career in law, uh, I've learned that I, I, I always try to say context matters. And, you know, for them, right, what's their context? You know, sometimes that comes down to financial context of, you know, do will you have to take out student loans, right? But the same thing is also kind of true of if you're going to be starting a subscription practice is, you know, finances are also a factor, right? Like I chose to bootstrap. My wife uh, has a very good job. I was able to go on her benefits. You know, now that's not going to work for everyone. You know, if you're fresh out of law school, I don't know. Um, you know, what your financial situation is, if this is something you could do, if you're willing to take out loans, you know, you can't get investment in this, like, uh, you know, traditional, you know, venture backed company, right? Like it's your law firm. So, um, so there is risk involved, um, but your context matters. And so everything I'm saying, adapt it to your context and, and apply it in that way. And, and it's, you know, I haven't replaced my prior, you know, firm's income yet, but I was profitable in month one because I'm running a very efficient, very lean law practice. And so profitability is easy with the subscription model. Uh, and, and so I highly, highly recommend uh, that all the, the viewers and listeners uh, look into it and give it a shot. Awesome. I love it. All right. So I want to talk about our next episode. Then we're going to come back to Matt for the final nugget of wisdom, the biggest takeaway. Uh, so this week's a little, a little different. We have an episode, not uh, the next episode is not next week. It will be in an hour and 15 minutes. So if you can, or wait, hold on. Am I doing my time right there? I think oh, so. Three, yeah. So if you've enjoyed this chat and you want to hear more of me today, I'll be wearing the same shirt. Uh, I'm not going to change between episodes. We'll be back at four o'clock with Chris Guyman today on uh, June 13th to talk about time freedom, the steps to quote, buying unquote more time. So all those little things that we can spend money on to get more time back, to use them to build, to use them to grow a firm, to use them to spend more time with family, to use them to go play disc golf, whatever that looks like. So hopefully we'll see you back in an hour and 15, an hour and 14 minutes now. But Matt, I know you've taught, you've shared so much here in such a very specific thing. It's awesome. Like anybody who really is on that fence about subscription stuff, like this is a way to get the right, you know, 40 minute breather into all the other things you need to look into for it. 
But if somebody remembers nothing you've said in the last 40 minutes, what would be your biggest piece of advice? The most important thing they need to know so that they can be the exhibit A of a successful lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to talk to attorneys directly here. So with the billable hour, you could only bill 24 hours in a day. And if you do that, it's probably unethical because <laughs> uh, there's some weird double billing and stuff going on. Uh, but with the, with the subscription model, uh, you could scale your practice like never before, help more people, make more money and change the world. I love that. Help more people and make more money. Like as the, as a lawyer with student loan debt, like most of us have, what more could you ask for to be able to help more people and make more money? And, and, and charge less and still make more money. So like, that's the other part of that. I know. I love it. All right. So everybody, now that you've listened to what Matt has to say, when you're done here, you want to go ahead and get you to uh, subscribe to the podcast law law subscribed. Yep. Um, anywhere podcasts are available. Yeah. Yeah. And lawsubscribe.com and you could, you could subscribe there. Awesome. All right. Hope to see you all back in just over an hour. Have a wonderful day. I'm going to grab lunch. Maybe you'll grab lunch depending upon, what time zone you're in, and then uh, we'll be back.